0: we're working through this book of Marianne Williamson's called The Gift of Change and it is really interesting I swear to gosh the entire chapter this week is about anxiety and and through my first reading I thought well We'll just skip that chapter. (laughs) You know, I have the power, right? We can skip a chapter. But when I read it through the second time, you know, it really made a lot of sense to me why it's in this book. Because what stands in the way of, of, of the sense of jubilation that we just heard, you know? What stands in the way of us being self-actualized? What stands in the way of us being the best we can really be? And i got to tell you, a lot of the time, it's the day-to-day small fears and anxiety and stress that seems inevitable. Whether, Whether you turn on the news, whether you talk to your neighbors, whether you're comparing notes at the drinking fountain at work, wherever it is, there is a lot going on in the world right now that is anything like the joy that we heard in that song, Right? And so I think, very appropriately, Marianne Williamson interjected this chapter to deal with that, to really to, to sail right in <laughs> into open seas, into anxiety, and figure out what we can do about it. Well, I want to start simply with, uh, with a, a, a definition. So this is what Webster says about anxiety a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome, also, it's a desire to do something, but typically accompanied by unease. So like a, like a plan that you might have to do something that you're a little worried might not turn out, right? And then finally, of course, there's even a psychiatry definition. A nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior, even panic attacks. So that's what anxiety is. And you know, when you stack that up, when you really think about that, How could one have this state of anxiety and truly be a co-creator in their world, right? It really does seem like the two are on opposite poles. And so I think it makes perfect sense that we actually tackle this subject of anxiety. So in the book, Marianne Williams typifies it this way. She says... Recognizing the origins of stress and anxiety from a spiritual perspective, we find a key to dismantling the thoughts that produce it. Stress and anxiety are simply the inevitable consequences of thinking that the unreal is real. I'm going to read that one more time. Stress and anxiety is simply the inevitable consequence of thinking that the unreal is is real okay now what does this mean you know this is the sort of metaphysical meaning instead of the webster's definition of what stress is so so often our anxieties are around things that either haven't happened yet or never may happen at all right think about it Uh, Seldom do we actually have anxiety about something that's going on right now I mean if we do actually that probably that would be the exception of good anxiety, right? If the speeding train is coming at you and you're feeling anxious This is a good anxiety, you know, it would allow you to sort of move to the side, right? But when we have anxiety about things that have not happened yet When we have anxiety around things that may never happen How is this useful? Actually, Marianne Williamson makes a very good case that it's never useful. She says that our anxieties, when they're future based, are based on the unreal, and this unreal is making up outcomes that haven't happened. It's putting your own fears onto others, right? I have this fear that someone's going to treat me badly, and so, right? So we're projecting our own fear onto them, just waiting, just looking, almost just. Expecting them to treat us badly, right? It's also a form of fear, false evidence appearing real. Now, that's a a kind of a common acronym for what fear means false evidence appearing real. Again, that idea of us putting a lot of weight, a lot of belief, a lot of thought power into something that we don't even want to have happen. Now, what we know about the power inherent in the science of mind is that where we put our mental energy, those topics and ideas and thought patterns where we put all of our energy, those are the things that indeed outpicture in the world. So when we're in the middle of worry, when we're in the middle of anxiety, when we're in the middle of running those... Does anyone have those late night things where like it's 2 a.m., right? And suddenly this thought of something bad that could happen the next day, it's meeting the boss, it's interacting with someone on the phone that we haven't talked to in a long time and it didn't go so well last time, right? Right? These are absolutely, when they're running around in our mind constantly, what are they apt to do? If we believe the teaching of science of mind, it's like a magnet for bringing those things to us. And I'm reminded in ministerial school, we had this one minister named Roger, who was who very sweet. And what I liked about Roger is Reverend Roger used to bring in examples of everyday life that illustrated points. And and w- uh, one uh, class, we were talking about using the power of attraction in our lives and how powerful that was. And he brought in this sweet little um, TV. It was like from some TV episode from the 50s uh, that was like a how-to thing. And it was how Father can teach their children how to ride a bicycle. And it was, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it was black and white and the mother in it had the, the wide skirt with the, you know, the ruffles. And, and the dad, here it's like a Saturday, ride, right, And the dad is wearing a little business suit as he's, as he's showing his son and his daughter how to learn how to ride a bicycle. And what I loved about it is it was, it, it was very sweet. You know, it was like, you know, kind of coaching the kid. They had a long sidewalk and they took the training wheel off and and the idea was um, you, you know you want to get up enough speed, but not too much speed, but it needs to be enough and you know and, and it was very sweet and actually very loving and Now that I think about it, I think maybe that was how I was trained how to ride a bicycle anyway but but one by one, you know they would they would train the kids and off they go down the sidewalk and what was interesting was that the little episode ended with the the trainer guy, this guy in the suit telling us how not to show our children how to ride a bicycle he said what you don't want to do and he illustrated it with another little girl she came up got on the bike he said here's what you don't want to do now notice how narrow this sidewalk is you need to be very very careful the sidewalk's hard it's very narrow, and there are all these obstacles around, like that tree over there. It would be horrible if you somehow crashed into that tree. Okay, off you go. Well, well, well as you can imagine, the little girl in this little snippet, she's like, okay. But she gets on the bicycle and, and is off down the sidewalk about halfway down as though the tree were a magnet absolutely I swear to you as though the tree were a magnet and she was a big block of steel right towards the tree of course he stepped out and you know she didn't crash or anything he stepped out to get her but he said you know if you teach people through negativity if you say how not to do it if you say what to avoid and and the pitfalls of whatever you're doing for whatever reason because it's new because it's a change in their behavior almost inexorably they will be drawn to that thing that they want to avoid well to me I think this is a perfect example of what we do to ourselves around stress and around worry and around anxieties I think we are absolutely setting ourselves up to experience more of the very things that we want to avoid When we dwell on the the tree and the narrow sidewalk, whether that be in relationships, whether it be in our financial world, whether it be uh, interactions with people we love, when the ghosts from the past tend to try to color how we're going to interact with those people and places and things today, it's as though we're setting ourselves up to fall right off that bicycle. All right, um, Which leads me to today's sort of fun story um, It's called Elevator Anxiety and, uh, and, and this one actually is a true story And, and you'll, you'll get to see why in a minute here So a white lady on a business trip arrived in L.A after being warned by some of her Midwestern friends of the racial tension in the city. She was a little nervous and distressed about her safety, and she felt there might be danger lurking around every corner. It's a very timid woman. After checking in at the front desk of her hotel, she headed for the elevator. Upon arriving at the elevator, there were three African-American men already in it. She quickly debated with herself about the situation, but she summarized... This is ridiculous. I have nothing to fear from these men here in the middle of this lovely hotel. No problem. I'm going to ride the elevator. She then stepped into the elevator and quickly turned her back on the three men and faced the door. Shortly after the door closed, she heard one of the men say, hit the floor, lady, and she immediately dropped to her stomach in terror. Upon her quick dive for the floor, the three men started laughing. The man, after all, had simply asked her to select the floor she wished to go to. She was shaken and embarrassed about the whole thing. No, really, that's what what the words actually said. She was shaken and embarrassed by the whole thing, but she tried to shake it off as she had several days of business to attend to. At the end of her stay, she went to check out of the hotel and pay for her room. To her confusion, the clerk informed her that her room had been taken care of. He then handed her a note and explained that the person who had picked up the tab for her room had left the note. The note said, thanks for the best laugh I've ever had in an elevator, and it was signed Eddie Murphy. Yes. Exactly. One of Eddie Murphy's favorite stories. You know, it's, it's a story that he's told in, in his stand-up routines. Now, what I want to put out to you, what I wanted to suggest, how often, how often are our anxieties just as faceless, just as nameless, and just as absolutely and patently untrue as that woman's anxiety about being in that elevator? We are setting ourselves up day in and day out for, if you will, a rotten elevator ride and for no no reason whatsoever. Okay, so in the book... Um, she describes two main factors in understanding anxiety. One is simply what we've already covered. It's when we take the unreal and make it real in our mind. When we take something that we really don't want to have happen, something that we're fearful around, something that we would have some anxiety around, and hold it up just as though it were true, just as though it was going to happen, just as though this is the reality of matters when we know it's not. So that's the first factor that we have to take in mind. The second one is simply, and this one's a little harder to take. The second one is that anxiety is a choice that we're making. Now you might say, Larry, when on God's green earth would I ever choose anxiety? And yet I got to tell you, think about this. Do not we have the power to choose our thoughts? Now, I'm not saying this is easy, but, you know, quite the reverse. I found myself in situations like this myself. Oftentimes, thoughts, unwelcome thoughts, will come seemingly unbidden to me, right? Thoughts about poverty, thoughts about loss, thoughts about unhappiness. But I will tell you that whether I stay in that thought, whether I ramp it up and let it start circulating in my my mind, absolutely, I have the power of choice over that. I can be aware when those thoughts start, and I can close them off simply by saying stop, simply by that awareness that I don't have to think that anymore. So in that sense, each of us does have the opportunity of choice, even around fear and anxiety. Now again, back to our our earlier example, if it's anxious, if it's fear about something that's going on right now, this is an okay thing, right? Right? Fear was developed hundreds of millions of years ago as a response of stimulus to our environment. There really was a time when, when something that looked probably not quite like me, but was still, a, you know, in human form, was running around on the earth, being chased by big things with even bigger teeth. And so it was totally appropriate when those feelings of anxiousness and fear rose up in us at that time. You know, it was like, well, size up the enemy. If it's a little shorter than me and weighs a lot less i have a chance but if it's 12 foot high high and fangs like this you just run right you just get the heck out of there so so these feelings of fear these feelings of anxiety if it's something that's presenting itself to you in the here and now it's like okay this is actually productive this is useful But when we start spinning our minds, when this anxiety really is a result of us projecting something negative that hasn't happened yet, may not ever happen yet, and we allow this to nest in our brains, I often think of emotions and thoughts of like birds, right? And when a bird just flies by, it's like there, you can appreciate it, and off it goes. And that's the way most thoughts and most emotions work, I think they're right there you can kind of appreciate them okay I see this little bit of fear I see this feeling of lack and what I know about emotions and feelings they'll be gone tomorrow some of us though allow those thoughts and feelings to actually build a nest in our brain and that's when we wake up at 2 in the morning or that's when we're maybe headed off to a business meeting with our boss and there's that tightness in our stomach Us assuming that something bad is going to happen. Us assuming that we're going to be in trouble, that life is going to take a turn for the worse, whatever it might be. So how do we go about releasing this anxiety? First of all, I suggest that we just ask a few questions about it. First of all, is it indeed based on the past? Because I would hate to think that everything that has happened to me in the past is going to accurately predict exactly what's going to happen to me tomorrow. Think about it. It would be like saying we can never learn from our mistakes. It would be like saying everything bad that has ever happened, I am doomed to replay it again. Okay, now no one wants to have a life like that. And it's patently false. But it is a place often that our brain goes. So ask yourself, when you're feeling anxiety, when you're feeling fear, is it based simply on some kind of a reaction, some kind of a feeling, something that's happened in the past? And then, just think, does that mean it's going to happen again? No. No, it's not. Second question is, is it sure to happen? Now, now here we're back in that realm of, okay, there are some times when, uh, when it is good to be listening to what your body is saying, that tightness in the stomach. If it's sure to happen, well then, of course, make plans for it. You know, figure out what you need to do. But if it's not a sure thing, if it's just based on things that have happened to you in the past or an inkling of something bad that might happen, why not let that go like you let so many other random thoughts go it is truly just a random thought that can be released and then finally and this has to do with the real emotional impact of anxiety Has anyone in this room, and and I'm going to kind of tell a little bit of an embarrassing story about myself, but has anyone else in this room ever been presented with some kind of an interaction with people where you literally felt so strongly that you were just going to die? for a while i had a boss when i worked for the telephone company that literally would bring almost on i mean i was never went to a doctor to see if it really was what you would call a panic attack but this man was somewhat abusive and and his general mode of operation was to sail through the office and if he lit at your desk it was like oh my god he would yell at you in a voice loud enough for a hundred people to hear and say exactly all the rotten things that you ever did and how useless you were and i remember you know on monday mornings his habit was to phone people and sort of pick fights with them you know he would he would phone the people you know in the repair center and just give them a bad time and so there was a standing joke that if your phone rang on monday morning people would, like, sometimes people would cross themselves. I mean, it was a joke. It was a joke, and yet it was true. This man, for whatever reason, we allowed, now we're back to choice again, we allowed this man to have such power in terms of terror over our lives. And now i got to ask you, was this boss of mine a dinosaur charging at me with long teeth? It may have felt that way. But I wasn't going to die. And yet, I absolutely felt at times like to interact with this fellow would be like death. Now, I want to assure you, whatever you might be anxious about, whatever interactions with people or places or things, whatever you know, whether it's meeting with uh, you know, someone to talk about your taxes, whether it's meeting with someone to, to go over plans for a family reunion, or you know, whatever it might be that would produce anxiety in you, the only person, really, that can let something bad happen to you Is you. Unless you're in that immediate situation, right? And you know, where the train's coming at you, of course, we need to get out of the way. But the only person that can allow yourselves to be emotionally hurt is us. It really is us. And when that level of anxiety comes to us, what I do is I simply acknowledge that it's going to pass, that I'm feeling what I'm feeling. It doesn't do any good to try to pretend you're not feeling it, right? I mean, we owe it to ourselves to acknowledge that feeling. Yes, I'm feeling afraid right now. I'm feeling anxious right now. But as soon as you do that acknowledgement, be real clear about yourself. And what I know about this feeling is it will pass like every other feeling that I've ever had. And life will go on. Here's the way that Marianne Williamson describes this. She says, things are changing quickly in this world, and there's no sense that we are necessarily headed in a more more serene direction anytime soon. Getting on top of things at this time in the world has less to do with mastering particular skills or gaining specific knowledge than it is with mastering our own ability to choose serenity. The drama of life, they're like weather patterns. They're inevitable changes within the course of nature. It makes as much sense to resist personal drama as it does to resist the weather. Simply dress for them. Yes, avoid the dangerous parts, of course, but try to control the the dance of nature? I don't think so. When it rains, you should simply go indoors, and for me, going indoors is going to that place inside me that I know is unchangeable, that is always loved, that is always in connection with God, that is a place of safety, that is a place of harmony. There is a place inside each one of us that has never had to deal with anxiety. There's a place within each one of us that is so connected with that which created us that it can dispel any fear, any disharmony, any stress or anxiety. So when you are feeling this, go within. Go within. Now, do we want to have a raincoat handy? Sure. Absolutely. But know that like a storm, whatever is happening in your life will pass. I'd like to close with um, a little bit of homework and uh, and a quote from Ernest Holmes, the the founder of Science of Mind. First of all, the homework, simply next time you're feeling stressed out, next time you're feeling like like there's some dread around what's going to happen next or where you're going in life, I want you to ask three questions. And we've kind of covered them already. First of all, has it actually happened yet? You know, is this some future wishful thing? Just to answer that question. Has it really happened yet? Or am I worrying about something that may never occur? The next question is right along those lines. Is it sure to happen? If it's sure to happen, okay, then make plans. Get the raincoat out. If it's not sure to happen, let's let the anxiety drop let's dwell in that place of our unchangeable nature of god and then finally acknowledge the feeling and let it pass just absolutely take full ownership for feeling terror feeling lack feeling shame whatever that might be that's you know bringing up the stress bring up the anxiety go yes i absolutely am feeling right that right now and what i know is like all emotions it will pass And that there is a part of me that is unchangeable. There is a part of me that is absolutely connected to the one source and the one creator. And that is God. That is my God self. (laughs) Ernest Holmes in The Power of an Idea said, Anxiety will be resolved as we daily become conscious that we are being guided, guarded, and loved. That we are being led into the pathway of peace which includes everything that is good. There is one life, that life is God, that life is perfect, that life is our life now. Let us live it the way we were meant to be lived. Let us pray. That perfection that is God, I know is in every person, every place, everything, every situation. It truly is all God. And this goodness, this godness, as it is present everywhere, I know it's present for me and in my life. And I know without question that it is present, absolutely backing up the lives of every single person in this room. It is our very nature. It is our birthright. It is the essence of who we are. And so for each person in this room, I know that there is a willingness to better understand the thought patterns that are moving through our heads. There is a willingness and an ability to better understand when we're caught up in a little bit of drama, a little bit of anxiety that does not serve us. And so everyone here, I know, has that ability to simply stop the mindless chatter, to simply put some forethought into their thoughts and to accept a new way of thinking in their lives. To choose love over fear. To choose peace over turmoil or disquiet. To choose wholeness over thoughts of disease or lack. This is the birthright of each person in this room and for each person here I know that there is that unchangeable nature that has never been harmed or hurt by anxiety or fear. (laughs) That there is that unchangeable nature of each person in this room as it becomes more aware of itself, as it becomes more aware of the divinity that is each person. And I am simply grateful for this. Grateful always to be in the power and the presence of God as it takes the form of everyone in this room. Grateful for life itself. And so I release this prayer. I release it into the activity and action of the law itself, knowing that it's good, knowing that it is outrageously wonderful. I just let it be. And together we all say, and so it is. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks so very much.